Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast, so you've got time for it, from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated and productive at home, Remarkably Remote is here to help you in this brave, new, remote working world. Find Remarkably Remote on smart speakers or subscribe on your favourite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash T-I-P-S. Hello and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who's got mud in his beard. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello always, my friend. It's the only way to have a healthy beard is to make sure that you have a healthy amount of mud in it. Do you know the scene I'm referring to? Oh, of course I do. Of course I do, because that felt completely out of character. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually one of my favorite moments from episodes five and six of The English Game. Yeah, just because it made me smile. I I was really hoping that he didn't. We we see at the very end of it that he like actually pulls a piece of mud out. I really wanted that to just be a good burn by his dad that like <laughs> I can still see mud even if there's no mud there. <laughs> so, in case you haven't gathered either from the episode title or from what we just said, we are here to talk about the final two episodes of the Netflix series The English Game. Uh mm-hmm. we're not going to go scene by scene because that'd be too many scenes yeah. for for two episodes. But I think we've basically picked out the main narrative strands and we're going to talk you through those and then basically have a chat about this show. So we're yep. going to start with episode 5. Are you ready, Mr. Rockwell? As ready as I will ever be. So here's the weird thing. The the main narrative strand from a football perspective in episode 5 is the FA Cup semi-finals. It's yeah. Kinnaird's Old Etonians against Notts County, and it's uh, Fergus Suter's Blackburn against the Old Carthusians. We don't see a lick of either semi-final. Not a lick, not a kick, not even a goal, not even a non-save. We see the things around it. We, we see do. them putting on jerseys and discussing the games uh, ad nauseum, but we do not see the actual games, no. And I think this is a lesson to all of us who thought this was going to be a show about football. It's uh-huh. really a show about everything that's happening around the football. We were tricked yes. by the first episode. We were. We were, but I, I now have a theory about why we haven't seen more football, which I could save until we get to the FA Cup final, or I can mention here. It's whichever you prefer. You do whatever you want, Tyler. All right. Then I, I honestly you, think... You own 50% of the show. I do. Uh, we, we do finally get a, a wide shot. We can see the whole field in the FA Cup final. And I, and I think in that moment, I was like, oh, we get a wide shot. This game doesn't look like soccer. And, and, and that's not a, a, a criticism of the show. It's the reality of the way the game was played in that time period. But I almost think that they had to avoid showing us too much soccer because it either would have been sort of the modern game or it would have been so weird, like, like, like the way six-year-olds play it, where it's just everybody follow the ball and it's this kind of scrum of people, that it wouldn't have looked very good. And I think that that was sort of a, a wrinkle that they maybe had to deal with on the fly was soccer of this time period is not so sophisticated that it looks very good. These people don't have good equipment. The ball is pretty ugly. Let's just show them all in top hats talking about the games instead of actually showing the games. There's also honestly just not that much drama in these games. I don't think we even see the scores of these games, right? But I went and looked them up. These FA Cup semifinals, Old Etonians beat Nuts County 2-1. And Blackburn Olympic, one of the Mm -hmm. Blackburn teams, beat the Old Carthusians 
4-0. So right. maybe there's just not a lot of drama there. But I do want to I want to start us off with, do you know who the old Carthusians are? I do not. So you know how the old Etonians are, you know, everybody who went to school at Eton College? Mm-hmm. Um, old Carthusians are everybody who went to school at Charterhouse, which is another oh, one of those okay. sort of fancy, fancy schools for toughs. So why wouldn't it be the old Charthusians? I do not know. You'd have to limit some letters. You'd have to ask an old Carthusian uh, what they know. I like to think that it's like FIFA where you only have a certain number of characters or something like that. And they just ran out. So they had to combine it a bit more. (laughs) Here's the first thing I want to take up with this episode, though, is do you remember the the first episode of of this show was set in the 1878-1879 season? Mm-hmm. Right, and that game between uh, Darwin and the Old Etonians that really did happen in one of the later rounds of the FA Cup. Right, then we're six months later from 1878 to 1879 is where the action picks up. There's been no other time jump, right? As far as we know, these I ga- never quite know. I never am quite confident that there hasn't been. But yes, I'll take your point. Yeah, these games are from 1883. This is from the 82-83 oh. season. So we have jumped half a decade, more or less. But we haven't. And basically, what I'm accusing the makers of the English game is, is absolutely fudging it. Because See, I, by the time we get it. to episode six and the FA Cup final, it doesn't even say the year. It just says FA Cup yeah. final. And I think they're deliberately fudging it. Yeah, I love that this series, us reviewing this series, began with you asking me if I was going to be okay with historical inaccuracies. And I more or less was. And we've come full circle to you now being really annoyed by the uh, historical inaccuracies in this show. Absolutely. See, I'm normally fine with historical inaccuracies where they're just taking um, certain things and like changing timelines and this and that to um, just to heighten the drama. But here we have things like uh this this blackburn team didn't really exist right there were right. blackburn rovers and there was blackburn olympic there was no just one blackburn team what they've done is merged the histories of blackburn rovers and blackburn olympic um into into one club that never existed yeah and and it's a it's a tough uh path to navigate because i've mentioned it before i'll probably mention it again but united passions the fifa movie they basically were just like let's just make a sort of docudrama about various moments in fifa's history with no real through plot or narrative we'll just show like then this moment happened and then this moment happened which doesn't really help build a narrative so then you have to go the opposite route of let's just combine a bunch of stuff and have characters do and say things they wouldn't have done or couldn't have done and play in games that they did not play in because otherwise it's just a bunch of random teams playing a bunch of random games yes so instead of me complaining throughout episode five Uh and episode six i am going to just point out what the real history is on occasion just because i think the real history of english football is interesting right so just what i want to like have that caveat up front i'm going to correct the record just for people who are interested but i'm not going to complain about what julian fellows has done But I thought it was really cool that, uh, in actuality, the FA Cup final uh, did feature both the protagonist scoring and then the other protagonist scoring the game winner. I thought that was really cool because that totally happened, right, (laughs) Daryl? It did not. It did not. Not so much. (laughs) All right, so should we get to the other narrative strands of this game that basically happen around these FA Cup semifinals that we don't sure. see. Mm-hmm. The, the first big narrative we have is Jimmy's leg, which if, if, we, if we remember... He's not, he's not dead. He's not dead, he, but he's lucky to be breathing. He's not well, going to be playing again. The doctor tells him, you're lucky to be breathing after that tackle from Tommy Marshall. Um, and throughout this episode, uh, Jimmy essentially forgives Tommy Marshall, has a drink with him in the pub, mm-hmm. um, and th- it ends with Tommy Marshall um, being asked to play for Blackburn, which again, yeah. obviously didn't happen. Uh, 
But I think it's there to illustrate maybe the working classes coming together to go up against the toffs, the old, the old Etonians. Yeah, and, and th- this narrative, again, it felt like a sort of series that was initially supposed to have like 10 episodes, and then they had to condense a lot of it and combine a bunch of characters because Tommy goes from trying to murder Fergus Suter to being like best chums with him very yeah. quickly in the course of this episode. It's a pretty fast turnaround. It's not, I don't think it's earned. I don't think this show earns the Tommy no. apology that comes Mm-mm. too quick. I mean, I do understand that thing of people who are. There's definitely a thing, and we've talked about this before, people we know who are very nasty on the soccer field and will do terrible things on a soccer mm-hmm. field and then are very, very nice off the field. But throughout this series, we've seen Tommy yeah. do bad things on the field. Burn a house down, yeah. But also be terrible off the field, right? Yeah. Like, even the way he was like bumping into to Fergus a couple episodes mm-hmm. ago on, on the shop floor, he was like slapping the paper out of his hand, slapping the paper into his hand the episode before. Um, mm-hmm. He's been mean off the field, so it's not as if he can just excuse it as like, Oh, a red mist comes over me when I play. He had yeah. red mist all the way up until halfway through episode five. Until he doesn't. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of this character is this way until they're not, and then they're another way until they're not. Yeah. Oh, and just to follow the Jimmy Love story through, mm-hmm. after, after Fergus uh, takes him to the pub in the cart, which I actually kind of liked. I thought that was a cute moment between them. I also did enjoy the very human moment of... Jimmy sort of telling everybody else that, oh, it's fine, like it's getting better, it's just a wee knock Doris and all that sort of stuff. But you do get a sense of the tight friendship with Fergus when Jimmy basically admits that he's kind of depressed. And I think Jimmy says, mm-hmm. like, just just when it's you and I, I'll let you know that how I'm really feeling. Yeah, which, which like, this is another moment, though, for me. Like, yeah, it was, it was a cute scene of him carting him to the pub. But simultaneously, like, all Jimmy said was, I need a drink. And I found myself thinking, like, oh, so, like, they're going to have a drink in, in the house and they're going to have that conversation there. And it, uh, all I needed was Jimmy to say, like, I need a drink and I need to get out of the house. And then you have that scene. Because otherwise I was sort of confused as to why he was being carted oh, really? around town so when he couldn't even move. We definitely see this differently. Like, I like when things aren't said, but you're just mm-hmm. supposed to infer, right? When he says, I need a drink, and Fergus thinks, oh, maybe I'll go and get you a glass of water or whatever it, mm-hmm. i like the idea that no what jimmy's saying is i need a drink i need to get out and go to the pub maybe I I think can... that's all i need i need like a proper drink and a proper pub and then i'll be like oh they're going to the pub cool well i think uh myself and probably mm-hmm. a lot of listeners can really empathize with jimmy love wanting to get out of the house and go to the pub yes. <laughs> <laughs> right about now um one, yes. one thing that happens for jimmy in that the was pub... a weird moment when he was like i, I know we shouldn't because of coronavirus but <laughs> i think we need to go to the pub because my leg is broken <laughs> or spanish flu which is coming in what 40 years um, to, to this down um doris gets jimmy a job by asking ted yep. stokes if he i do like how all the threads are sort of coming together mm-hmm. uh pun intended with ted stokes's yep. company um so jimmy's gonna end up making soccer jerseys which is definitely almost as good as being one of the leading stars of the day yep uh it, it is indeed he's also good with his hands daryl <laughs> that we had a weird that, well. that had a weird euphemistic feel to it right oh i mean i th- i think i knew what she was saying there Ted, yeah, Ted, I mean, I don't know Ted why that's a selling red. point for Ted Stokes. Yeah, Ted exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that happens with mm. uh, Tommy Marshall's unearned redemption is that Blackburn are short of player. They're short yep. of a player because Tommy took out Jimmy's leg. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it ends up being Tommy Marshall that goes to play for Blackburn in that semi-final when Mr. Shaw, the mill owner, basically um, enforces it. It's the first, um, maybe the first loan move in history. <laughs> Yes. And uh, I'm jumping around a little bit, but I think we're kind of going to do that. Uh, Mr. Shaw, who becomes the head of the FA, the Lancashire FA, correct? Yes. In the context of the show, that is. Um, In episode six. 
I I am inclined to believe. Now, maybe this is me like reading too much into it. That felt like because we see that very quick scene, we do still get some of the like quick jumps to a scene, and then it's like ten seconds, and then they go to another thing, and we have that one of Shaw meeting with Cartwright. Cartwright says like we've got to be on the same page, we've got to be together. And I did find myself wondering because then Shaw is suddenly the FA president. If that was a sort of compromise of like you back me, you let me borrow Tommy, I'll back you to become the head of the FA because it felt like that should have been Cartwright given his kind of more power, more prestige, more money, and instead it's Walsh. And I did kind of like that because that's a good sort of narrative uh, for Walsh, who had been a fairly, like, harshly done character as hell. Yeah, but I think it's more broadly just meant to be about the working classes realizing that if you're going to succeed against the upper classes, then you've got to stick together. It's a message Uh, of, Mm -hmm. it's a left wing message of solidarity. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I like that. The other narrative thread here that we can deal with pretty quickly is uh, Martha, um, Fergus's uh, soon-to-be full-time girlfriend, and Mrs. Cartwright, whose husband she has made a baby with. Um, So (laughs) Mrs. Cartwright turns up to see Martha, and this really shocked me. She, She suggested that essentially since Jeannie is Mr. Cartwright's illegitimate daughter, maybe we could just take her from you. Maybe we'll just yeah. take your baby. Which which made sense for like a half second to me because it's like, oh, she's maybe assuming that Martha is just sort of like uh, like a working class woman who doesn't know how many kids she has. And so this is just another kid that like and now she's out of job. So we could take this kid and raise it ourselves. There's an, there's Except- an element of Mrs. Cartwright kind of assuming that everybody who's had a child, an illegitimate child or an out of wedlock child is sort of of terrible morals and would just give up their children easily. And I could raise that kid better. If only we had, like, an entire arc from the previous episode or two about a woman giving up her child, regretting it, and getting that kid back, maybe she would have learned from that? Oh, wait, we did have that, and instead it's just kind of more of the same. More of the same. Uh, Mm -hmm. To carry on this narrative, Martha um, is obviously kicks Mrs. Cartwright out of her house and is really Mm -hmm. upset about this suggestion. Um, There's a fear of losing her child, I think, as well, right? Um, So then she later goes and apologizes to Mrs. Cartwright, initially for, like, the, the harsh reaction when Mrs. Cartwright made the weird suggestion, but also, obviously, there's an apology for um cheating cheating on a on what's the what, what's the correct way to say this um having an affair having an affair with mrs cartwright's husband yes with mm-hmm. mr cartwright which she is, doesn't fully accept but at least that apology is made later on mrs cartwright i think calms down offers martha a job at brookshaw so everybody's problems are solved right and everybody's on mm-hmm. the same page it's actually a happy ending but i don't know that this whole narrative needed to happen um, no, I, I don't think it did. I have some questions about Mrs. Cartwright as well, and Mr. Cartwright for that matter. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, w- I will say, though, I do enjoy the way they styled her character and then some of the choices the actress made. Mrs. Because- uh, yes, because Martha is is obviously played by a very attractive uh, actress, and so if you have these two actresses in a scene together, you're trying to show that one is high society, one is not. It would be very difficult because it's it's a problem that I've previously experienced with uh, Sons of Anarchy, where like I remember my dad, uh, like like who uh, represented a, a biker gang here in Richmond way back when, and I was asking him about that show, and he was like, "No, they're all too pretty." no biker looks as pretty as anybody on that show. Even the ugliest people on Sons of Anarchy are still way more attractive. Uh, and it feels that way here. And I like that what they do is it's a, it's a subtle thing. It's not that subtle, but like Martha's hair is always sort of frizzy. It's always kind of out. Uh, whereas Mrs. Cartwright, everything is super tight. Like not, there is no flyaway. There is no hair that is astray. Yeah. And that feels like an appropriate thing that Martha has it together, but is still not able to have like all of her hair well done and everything like that. So I like that touch. And then I like from 
from the actress's standpoint, the way she really does just deliver everything flatly, I don't think that that's just her like being boring or whatever. I think that's who the character is. is she's pretty angry about what's happened. She doesn't really like her lot in life. And so uh, later on, when they're departing at the train station, uh, I love that like you see Fergus and Martha like kissing and being all happy, and it cuts to the Cartwrights, and all she says is like, "Good luck, John." Like it completely <laughs> flatly again. It, that feels very accurate and very realistic. Yeah, that that marriage is um, it, it's steady, but probably not that exciting at that point. I yeah, don't think. yeah, I would say that's that's accurate. Yes. All right. The other narrative strand here is mm-hmm. the the burgeoning romance between um, Fergus and Martha. So at the start of the episode, Fergus Souter um, essentially finds out from Martha that Cartwright is Jeannie's dad. And he gets all kinds of angry and confused about it. I think I don't think he really knows how to process this information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which which again, like I understand that that's what they're going for with the character, but she she literally says like it's over, it's it's like over and done with, it's been done for a while, and then literally her next sentence is uh, like the manager of the club fired me because he caught on to what was happening, and I was like, you just use present tense there, homie, <laughs> like that did not sound like it was long since done, and that's honestly what I thought they were going to do is have him think it was still this ongoing thing right. that hadn't been resolved. So Fergus storms off, and Jimmy Love steps in though because in the pub, mm-hmm. Jimmy Love makes the. Uh, makes the case to Fergus you've a semi-final this Sunday and a girl who seems smitten and you've a face like a slapped ass and I think it kind of this is the thing that maybe turns Fergus around when he realizes that um, he needs to to make sure that he he gets this relationship right so when mm-hmm. all all the the Darwin lads come in and they're all having a drink Fergus essentially um, to paraphrase Goodwill Hunting tells Jimmy um, I've got to go see about a girl <laughs> and he does and it's it's a good scene it it reinforces the idea that you shouldn't be out uh drinking at all hours in the pub you should probably be a respectable uh partner this so is what go this on is what, and deal with some issues this is what Kinnair told him a couple episodes ago right uh-huh. um, get your yeah. private get your private life straight and then yep. martha is the vehicle for making clear to fergus that he's not just playing for cartwright he's playing for uh, you're playing for me, Martha, and you're playing for the working people of Lancashire, and you're playing for poor Jimmy Love and his one and a half mm-hmm. links. Yeah, that, that's that language of subtlety that we've come to expect from this year. <laughs> so Fergus now knows that sort of he represents the town rather than it's just I'm playing for Cartwright's money and I hate the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, the other strand we have is Arthur Kinnaird. Arthur Kinnaird, who I've grown to like more and more yep. throughout this, uh, this series, and it's Kinnaird and his dad. And if you remember, his dad doesn't take football seriously. I believe he says to uh, Arthur, uh, you need to grow up and become a serious individual. <laughs> he, he does. Uh, this was, I think, my favorite like uh, arc over these last two episodes. And I'm with you that I think Arthur Kinnaird's character, some of it has been a little bit forced, but I think like his character development is the one that seems most logical and natural and like fleshed out. I mean, the, so the basic development is posh man, goes up north, sees how working-class people live, realizes it's not good, comes back down south and tries to make things better. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's certainly, like, the the narrative in terms of, like, oh, the working class aren't all monsters. Who could have known? <laughs> yeah. Like, they definitely seem to be pitching that one. But I think the idea of, like, he was living a disingenuous life, he was trying to, like, love football but love his wife but do his, like, do things that made his dad proud, he was never really living for himself. And I feel like the idea is that he has now realized who he wants to be and what he wants to be. Yeah. And that allows him to then live honestly, which then allows him to live truly for the first time. And the big thing is he stands up to his dad by saying, look, this is who I am, right? Take yeah. me as I am. I'm 
I'm not going to turn into like some boring banker guy. I'm not going to stop playing football. I think the phrase is we cannot be at war on all fronts, right? So yes. I'm mm-hmm. going to play football and I'm going to have an interest in things outside of upper class things, right? So I want you yeah. to, for example, um, I want you to uh, uh, donate the money for the refuge, the Brookshaw refuge. Um, I think that the Ted Stokes garment business, it might be a small business, but it's important. These are the things that I think are interesting. And Kinnaird's big moment is what's yeah. become known as the McAndrews meeting. Yes, which uh, we assume relates to like their property in Scotland or something like that. Who knows? But yeah, they're uh, they're oh no no I don't I don't think it's Kinnaird property. I think it's um, a property that someone is asking the bank for an investment in. Yeah, I think it was just more so that they felt the need to give it a name and continuously reference it that I was like, I'm assuming this connects to something because otherwise it would just be like, we've got that big meeting coming up. <laughs> like, well, that would have been fine. I think giving it some, a specific name, it yeah. makes it feel more real. Honestly, I think calling I it the McAndrews meeting is better than being mm-hmm. like, we've got big meeting coming up. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and then it, and then it turns out he's got what insider sources and exactly. uh, and knows how to make moves. So he knows that this building that the uh, the board doesn't want to um extend a loan to or invest in the property. Um it turns out Arthur knows that uh London Metropolitan uh the railway is coming right next to this property. There's going to be a railway station right next to this property and the city of London are going to put money into this whole area. Um mm. and um Arthur knows this because the chief engineer plays for Wanderers. He's a terrible mm-hmm. halfback, but his numbers are sound. So essentially, like Arthur's football friends, um, his connections, is there, is there anywhere you don't have a football friend, Arthur? Um, I want to give him the inside track and make, make business happen. I actually think this is a big moment. It, it, it kind of shows mm-hmm. his dad that serious people, influential people play football and the connections you can make playing football can be valuable in the business world. And I think his dad finally accepts that when he sees his son um, make, save the McAndrews meeting, basically. Yeah. W- once he's done hate staring at the piece of paper, yes, I think he recognizes <laughs> that as well. It's good that the dad isn't a straight up villain, right? He actually, uh, he actually uh, is open to, to being yeah. persuaded. I'm going to say he's a pretty good dad. Yeah. I'm going to throw that out I mean, there. Compared, dad. compared to other straight up villain dads that we'll, yep. we'll talk about in episode six. Um, I mean, we've gone from hand, hand on the shoulder to full on handshake. I, I don't know what else you need. Well, you've jumped ahead to the end of episode six. There are no handshakes <laughs> in episode five, Taylor. There are, there are not. no that handshakes in episode five. There mm. is Arthur and Martha. Sorry, not Arthur and Martha. Arthur mm. and Alma. Arthur mm. and Alma getting down to business. And I assume uh-huh. this is where Alma becomes pregnant. And I, I say that because this is where she says, I'm so proud of you. And the, the conceit of the show seems to be that you have to be proud of each other in order for conception to happen. Yeah. You didn't know that? that they left that out in sex ed? I mean, it sort of is how they've suggested this works, right? That like Arthur wasn't a good enough man to be a father in the first episode. And that's they insinuate that that's why the miscarriage happens. But, I guess so. But now that he's like a, a real man who stood up to his father and has taken an interest in the working class, now he's ready to be a father. I don't like it. I feel like it's, um, I feel like it's a very strange way to, prevent, to present things. I've said this before. I will say it again. Like, it is also a frustrating thing to me. This is one of the only moments of history that I find, like, or historical inaccuracy that, again, they, at this point, I think in 1883, was it, they have, like, four kids already in real history? So it just felt like sort of a, a false narrative that needed to happen and then was sort of resolved of, like, hey, and now we're pregnant uh, because <laughs> you believed in yourself. And that was the key all along. Right, the secret ingredient was love. We've saved the biggest um, – the secret mm-hmm. in- ingredient was standing up to your dad, weirdly. Evidently. Um, Evidently. The biggest narrative strand, I think, is the one yeah. we've saved till last. It is Kinnaird 
and his teammates at the Football Association, or more specifically, Arthur Kinnaird. He's overcome his dad. Now he's got mm-hmm. to overcome his own teammates and his own um, his own uh, FA what associates, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, because we basically learn that uh, when he went to rescue Alma, uh, when he teleports uh, to the the spot he needed to be in. Hold up, uh, he had- I'm going to pull you mm-hmm. up on this. I looked up the distance between Preston, uh-huh. which is where they were for that away game, and uh-huh. Blackburn, where that uh-huh. orphanage was. Why did they have to take a train, Daryl? Because they were coming That's from. My response they to were that. coming from London. No, they say when they're leaving to go to the game, we're late for the train, or we're leaving for the train to the game. Yeah, from London. <laughs> no, they're in. They're in Monkey's house. Monkey lives in the north. They go from. Nice try, my friend. You think they go from Monkey's they, house to to Preston to the game? Yes, but they say as they're leaving. Remember last episode when they were like screaming expository dialogue off camera? Uh, Alfred yells like we're gonna like we're leaving for the train to the FA Cup semifinal or quarterfinal. Like he 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 specifically says train. That was my issue with. It. I think you're wrong. I think they're coming from London. I think they're coming from Kinnard's place in London. I, I we, we we can keep going with this uh, because I I will say that I think they're in Monkey's place because that's where she comes to visit him. But we can leave it there. Okay. Uh, Hey, this is Daryl jumping in with a quick update. Taylor was right. They took the train uh, from Blackburn. Do me a favor, though. Don't tell him. Don't, don't let him know. Don't let him know that he was right. Uh, but I, I will say that basically the key thing here is that he says uh, that he was sick. That's why he had to miss the game. So when he, when he abruptly left, he didn't tell them it was to go rescue Alma. It was because he was, he was not feeling very well. And now he comes clean that it was actually because he uh, was going to go rescue his wife. And an issue that was sort of forced uh, when it was brought up uh, as a dinner conversation. That's when it was first mentioned. Yeah. Then he comes clean to the whole team. He, he tried to cover. He did not do a great job of covering, right? Not so much. No. <laughs> he also should have told Alma, hey, I didn't tell the guys. Maybe don't say anything. Yeah, but see, then he would be living uh, dishonestly again, okay. which we've established means you can't have babies. <laughs> in the rules of the show, yes. This definitely is set in an alternate universe, right? It, it is. <laughs> and it's set in an al- And this is actually kind of the issue for me right here is that like this really alfred's anger about this really doesn't work and and maybe it worked in the time period of like he's betraying his trusted like manly man friends to go be off with the women like maybe that's what they're going oh, for alfred's, in this time period alfred's mad because kinad lied to him but like well yeah but it's also like how dare you abandon your friends to go rescue your wife and a baby yeah. that would be like sold into whatever uh-huh. like like Alfred is just wrong. So there's there's no conflict here in my mind because it's just like no that dude's just wrong. Like like Arthur is doing the right thing, has done the right thing and you're mad about this? Like that just doesn't really yeah, play. I, I think that's one of the problems with the show is that uh, Marindon and Alfred Littleton um and later on next episode Fergus's dad. They just they're sort of the antagonists are just too thinly drawn right it's really mm-hmm. it's really hard to take their side so it's not real drama because you don't it's it's not complicated or complex enough well but like at the same time like alfred is the one who said like are you sure you're dealing with your home issues in the last episode like our, alfred in my mind was the one who encouraged him to go find alma and so now suddenly he's really angry that arthur is choosing his wife over his friend oh, so and, maybe like, maybe if you're gonna be uh, we're gonna be uh, generous you could say that alfred is mad that that arthur just didn't tell him hey i had to deal with some some stuff on the home front that that would make more sense yeah. because th- that that the the scene that did well I, I won't jump ahead too much but I, I did find some moments between Alfred and Arthur very compelling I thought that was some of the best parts of the final episode interesting all right well we're still not done with episode mm-hmm. five okay so pre match versus Notts County they're in the dressing room and the the stuff about like whether they should ban Blackburn or not for ostensibly the the riot but really because they're paying players all comes to a head and mm-hmm. Arthur essentially 
calls their bluff, right? He says, well, if you all feel that way, then uh, maybe I don't need to play today in this in this semi-final against, against Knox County. Um, I'm sure Dunn here will make an able deputy. <laughs> mm. Cut to Dunn looking nervous and no one in the room agreeing that Dunn will make an able deputy. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was an awkward moment for old Dunny. <laughs> I there. feel bad for Dunn. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, but at the same time, well, like I was a little confused because I didn't think they had substitutes or they didn't have like reserves. But I guess you, you would in case somebody wasn't available, so that makes sense. Yeah, uh, and so you, you just change the starting eleven. Yeah, you can't sub during a game, but you can have a mm-hmm. spare player ready to go in case someone can't play or or falls out with everybody. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. The the only thing, like, I, I'm actually like, uh, this isn't necessarily a criticism. I'm actually asking you this, Daryl. The other thing is, like, I felt like maybe maybe it was just you and I had like read more into it, but I felt like they had sort of established that like a little bit like Canard's best days were behind him, and that he wasn't like the prolific goal scorer. It was more so that he was this like leader and very tough tackler. Is that accurate to you? Um, I I don't know. I think they have it. They try to have it always, right? With all these players, yeah. seem to play in every position. Yeah. So right. it's it's just really because- hard to know. That was the only thing is like I did wonder for a moment if they were going to be like, well, yeah, like that's fine, like he's younger and faster or something like that. But it does not end up being the case. Well, I do uh, know. Just a- I do know. For example, Kinnaird never. Well, look, I mean, Kinnaird never wins an FA Cup again um, mm-hmm. in real life, right? Because an amateur team never wins an FA Cup again yep. after this. So it could be that Kinnaird is coming towards the end of his career. But also, um, he's he's still one of the greatest players around, right? So even if okay. Aldertonians mm-hmm. aren't as good as the northern teams and their passing game and their professional Scottish players that they've got. Um, Kinnaird is still like probably the best mm-hmm. player on this old Etonians team and certainly yes. better than poor old Dunny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, certainly better than poor old Dunny. Uh, Marindon backs down. He kind of turns away sheepishly. Because yeah, he knows uh, he's the know- worst goalkeeper in the world. Well, yeah. I mean, he does make a save of sorts in the in the next episode, but uh, before that, he turns away, but we know it's not done. He had literally yelled earlier in the episode, we're not done with this, we're not done with this conversation, uh-huh. and we're not done here because then we see that we're going to the FA, and there's going to be a meeting to ban Blackburn and blend, uh, ban Darwin as well, I think, like, in the future, but Blackburn for this iteration of the Cup. Yep, so the FA have a meeting without Arthur Kinnaird. Mm-hmm. They deliberately do it so that Kinnaird uh, is... Uh, they don't say what he's doing, but he's otherwise engaged. So they have the yep. meeting without him, um, and they decide that Blackburn will be expelled from the FA Cup. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. Dun, 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 indeed. I really wish we'd had him literally twirling his mustache. That was the only thing we were missing to really like nail home that Marindon is evil but we do get him smoking a cigar and wearing glasses so this, I think that's probably good enough this whole show is really harsh on Marindon Marind- yeah. again I think I said this in an early episode of TSS Marindon didn't play that much was mm-hmm. chairman of the FA and refereed eight FA Cup finals in a row yeah. he was mm-hmm. not this moustache twirling villain um, that they make him out to be on, in the English game yeah yeah, uh, but I mean, I, I kind of, with that in mind, was hoping that he was like a made-up character or something, just because he's so hard done by this series. That's the problem, right? He's one of the most important people in the history yeah. of English football, mm-hmm. and they've they're really like like messed with his timeline and made him into this villain. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk more about Marindon because he comes up and uh, plays a big part in the in the uh, final episode. Um, I did want to ask you one more question about this particular episode, Daryl Grove. Yeah, go for it. Um, so uh, in another conversation, I had brought up the Moors. Did I say they were near Blackburn? Did I say they were near where you were from? Um, I don't know what you said. They're not near where I was from. I do notice uh-huh. that they refer to the Moors yes. in Lancashire. I, yeah. There's also the Yorkshire Moors. I think there are basically two sets of Moors, unless these okay. Moors connect to each other. It may be that the Yorkshire and Lancashire Moors kind of connect somewhere. 
Because I, I thought I had said, like, that road reminds me of the Moors, and I thought you had, uh, like, teased me for that because that wasn't anywhere near. And then, sure enough, we get Jack Hunter saying, like, it's the Moors, aren't they lovely? And yeah. I was like, well, now I'm just really confused. I, so I know there's Yorkshire Moors because I've been on uh-huh. them, right? Okay. I did not know there were Lancashire Moors. All right. Well, now we know, but no one was mauled by uh, a dog, so that's that's a positive. That is good. I'm actually I'm mm-hmm. on my phone. I'm googling Lancashire Moors right now to see if, mm-hmm. if they're actually a real thing because this is really bugging me. <laughs> um, well, while you figure that out, uh, I will take a moment to let people know about today's sponsor of the Total Soccer Show. It's our friends at Policy Genius. Uh, there are things that we look to, uh, excuse me, there are things we look back on and think, how did I get it so wrong? I would say maybe Marindon has that perspective. Arthur Kinnaird certainly does. Uh, <laughs> Fergus Suter's father, less so. Uh, but if you're worried about getting things wrong, then Policy Genius can help you get things right because they make uh, finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape for free, and they won't uh, ask you whether you're paying players or anything like that. <laughs> You won't have to volunteer that information. You won't have to uh, try to. You don't even have to put on like a like an eight piece suit, which uh, Fergus Suter does. We're going to talk about that. Uh, instead, they just make it very easy to get life insurance, but also home and auto insurance as well as disability insurance. So even if you look back on your triple denim days in distress, uh, or if you look back uh, as when you routinely and systematically neglected and abused your son, uh, as maybe Douglas uh, Suter has done, you'll never be distressed about life insurance with policy genius because in just a few minutes you can find your best price and apply at policygenius.com you may get things wrong from time to time but you can get mm-hmm. life insurance right with policy genius yeah uh, and fergus Suter doesn't get his tactics wrong so maybe he has that level of foresight that we don't have and that's why we need policy genius maybe fergus Suter would just know right away what the right thing was <laughs> All right, I've done some Moore's research. You ready? Before, we, you before mm-hmm. we move on to episode six. So yes, there is a thing called the West Pennine Moors. So there are Moors okay. in Lancashire, um, but they only cover about 90 square miles. The, Moor, mm-hmm. the famous Moors that I'm referring to um, in, in Yorkshire covers 554 square miles. So the big Moors really are in Yorkshire, but there are some tiny Moors in Lancashire. And what is a Moor again? Just like great big land, basically. No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Moors does sound better than Great Big Land. Yeah, just like un- like untamed nature. All right. Well, I suppose Moors is a, a more succinct way of putting that. Uh, but with that uh, somewhat settled, uh, let's move on to uh, episode six, shall we? Episode six, the finale of the English game. I'll be honest, I was glad to get here because I wanted to see how, all, how this all resolved. Um, it was a bit of a cliffhanger, right? The end of episode five. I mean, sort of. I mean, it, it's one of those things where we kind of know what's going to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> not that big of a cliffhanger. But yes, how is it going to be resolved, how, I suppose, is the question. How is it going to be resolved? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so multiple strands from episode six. One of the biggest strands is Arthur Kinnaird versus his friends at the Football Association. Right. So this episode opens with, I think, the, uh, the Old Etonians team, which is basically the FA, even though it wasn't, but it is in this, um, <laughs> are all out for a run. Kinnaird and Littleton run out ahead of everybody, and that's when Kinnaird finds out about, quote-unquote, the decision that was made at the end of episode five without him to expel Blackburn. Mm-hmm. And he is very not happy. He's very not happy. They still have dinner. They still have their white mm-hmm. bow tie dinner, which looks like the most awkward dinner I've ever seen. 
Yeah, I, it was it was shocking to me that that was a thing they decided to do. I think the subtext was that it was a thing like the wives had agreed upon, and so the men were brought along because that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe there was going to be some sort of uh, reconciliation. That obviously does not play out. Uh, Alfred leaves. Uh, Marindin and his wife leave. Alma stays, Daryl. She gets to stay for a dinner. She does. Alma, Alma gets to eat. Wonderful, wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful. Is it at, at this dinner where Alma says, you should be ashamed of yourselves? Yeah, this was another example, going back to the very first episode, where I feel like they have characters behaving in a way that they certainly would not have behaved for the time period. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, Alma, she's behaving in a very modern way, Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And Marindin is very like, I beg your pardon? No woman has yeah. ever spoken to me like that before. Uh-huh. Yeah, which, like... Like, uh, this is, uh, like, maybe this is my history nerddom for a moment, uh, so I apologize if this ends in a rant. But it, it is sort of like, I feel like the point of historical films is to remind us of what was happening in history. And if you want to put a modern sensibility on things, what is the point of making it historical? Because you're having people behave in ways they wouldn't, it sort of cheapens the narrative. Because then it makes it seem like, oh, she's this very modern, outspoken woman, and that's who he married, and they're very outspoken together. But at the same time, they're not. And so it just, it was a confusing thing. Thing, but I understand why it has to happen for the purpose of this particular show. Yeah, I think it needs, if they're going to do that, it needs to be a whole thing, right? Where they yes. are like really outside of their time. Whereas instead, it's just these like weird little moments, right? And, yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like I love, I, I like, I like that women should speak for themselves, should stand up for themselves. But like, there is no way in hell that Alfred is just leaving his wife to go home and leaving her at dinner. Like he is, she is get up and following because that's the convention of the time. Maybe they would have fought later, but like, maybe she has the Uber app. I, yeah, that's probably what it is. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they said. There we like, go. Uh, the Uber carriage. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah you just not? order a carriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then we also have Fergus um, up north, and he's, he gets word of what's going on with Blackburn mm-hmm. being kicked out of the FA Cup before the final. They're in the final, but they've been kicked out, right? Um, mm-hmm. Walsh, the mill owner, is now chairman of the Lancashire FA. So I want to make sure that both you and our listeners understand the idea of the Lancashire FA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's basically the uh, football association governing like that area of the country, which uh, is threatening to break away potentially uh, later on in the episode. Yes. So, yeah, they're essentially regional football associations. Mm-hmm. I-, I would say that regional football associations are sort of like the states, whereas the FA is kind of like the federal government. Mm-hmm. If that makes yeah, sense. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> so... The, I mean, it's a, basically what we have here, right? With like the Virginia Soccer Association versus U.S. Soccer. Yeah, Party. exactly, exactly, exactly. Oh, I'd, wa- I'd watch that Netflix miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> we see Suter and others at the Lancashire FA meeting where I really like this. Suter is finally like, Let, let's stop beating around. Let's just say we did break the rules. I was paid to play football. And at least gets yeah. it out in the open. And everyone's like, all right, finally, someone said it. Let's just uh, let's be straight about it. Yeah, which I did also appreciate because my my last note for the last episode or one of my last notes was basically like, how does a riot relate to professionalism? I don't quite understand this. And I I think that argument that Marindin was making was because one player was playing for somebody and being paid to do so and then he jumped ship to another one. That made everybody angry and that's where the riot came from. So that's why professionalism professionalism is bad. But I appreciate that both Suter and Canard in this episode were just sort of cutting through that. Like, no, the issue is professionalism. We all know that. Let's talk about that issue. Yeah, isn't there a moment like in, in the meeting uh, yes. when, they, when they finally go down there to confront the actual mm-hmm. football association where Canard just says, let's not pretend that it's about that. Let's talk about yes. professionalism. Right? So yeah. we finally cut through it. I actually really like that moment i love when i love when people are like all right enough with the subtext let's talk about the real thing 
I really think like you could make an argument that the overall like structure of this series is man learns to be suave in business meetings because Kinnaird <laughs> really he's like let's get through this one and then he drops the the zinger later on that we'll get to uh, in that same meeting that I was like oh Kinnaird <laughs> is causing some problems. Speaking of men learning to be suave. Suter puts on a suit. Like, at the insistence of Walsh and co, mm-hmm. Suter really dresses up. He kind of looks like Charlie Chaplin once he's put yeah. the suit on. I quite like the mockery that he receives from uh, all his working class friends. Yeah, I was wondering in there, like, I feel, I feel like there's like some period appropriate slang that if I looked it up would be wildly inappropriate. Yeah. But, uh, but, but, but I enjoyed it. A proper pudding, I believe, is what he refers to himself as. He's definitely not comfortable in that suit, right? Nah, um, nah not so much. Right, before we get down to um, to Suter going down to to try and persuade the FA um, with Kinnaird's help, we've got to address the one the one other. It's basically the B plot of this whole episode yeah. is Douglas Suter, scary, scary Douglas Suter, because Fergus has bought a house or re- at least rented a house in Darwin for his mom and his sisters to get away from the mean, terrible, red-nosed drunk that is Douglas Souter, right? So you see yeah. at the start of the episode, he's showing them around, like, this is the new place. It's got this nice cooker for you. Um, but then you see the dad wakes up alone in Glasgow and throws a bottle at the wall because that's what drunks do. Yeah, yeah. yeah which, uh, honestly, I really wish that had been how that ended. I wish instead of smashing it, he, like, drank, and it was just sort of like, oh, he's just going to drink himself to death and they're going to go have a happy new life. Yeah. What follows, in my mind, is wildly and completely unnecessary. Yeah, it's it's very strange, right? He turns up, yes. he goes to the pub, the George. I forgot, I didn't know it was called the George. Um, tries to open a tab, <laughs> even though he's mm-hmm. just wandered in from uh, from Scotland, um, and starts causing trouble. And from what I gather, um, Doug started it, but Alf ended it. Yeah, 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 which which I did, uh, I enjoyed that he knocks him so unconscious that he's asleep for a day. Yes, <laughs> I think maybe, I was going to say maybe the drink had something to do with it, but he didn't get any, did he? So it was all uh-uh. all punch and no whiskey, yeah. Which I think is, is a thing that uh, I'm correct in saying is not real. That whole idea of like getting punched and then you're just unconscious for like an hour, like in every James Bond movie, not real. It means you have brain damage if that's happened. <laughs> well, maybe he turned up half drunk and he was sleeping off what, whatever alcohol he consumed on the way down yeah. to... Uh, to Blackburn. That, that could well be. This felt this is one of those narratives that felt like very rushed because I think in in a like more conventional twenty two episode season, the dad shows up but is this sort of like you don't see the negatives at first. You see the charm and you don't quite understand why Fergus yes. has this horrible relationship with him and he kind of char- I kind of expected him to like charm the bar and then Fergus is gonna show up and there's his dad like having the whole bar in the palm of his hand, and then slowly his behavior becomes manipulative and then abusive and aggressive. He went right for it right away. Yeah, he was not he was not laying subtle at all. He's the most badly written character i want to say he's just like evil angry drunk it's Mm -hmm. not even clear why he keeps telling fergus like you're no good you're never meant to anything they need a better player than you like none of it none of it really makes sense they throw in the only part they throw in one line yeah the only part that made sense to me was when fergus punched him in the face Yeah, I, I thought from, and then he regrets it, but I thought in the moment they were like setting up that basically he keeps trying to give his dad money, his dad is belligerent, and he punches him, and then I thought the usual thing of like, oh, the dad realizes the son can fight back, like we've seen that before as well, and so the dad then retreats and leaves, but that doesn't happen either. There's one quick line where I think Martha, maybe the mom, says like, he hates you because he's jealous of you, or he resents your success, yeah. or whatever, which is, yeah, like that's obvious, but... It still but damn it, show like... us that. Don't just have the mum say it and that's it. Show yeah. us that somehow. 
Yeah, and also, if all of his behavior has been, like, you're not good enough, it doesn't matter what you've done, you're never going to be good enough, I'm ashamed of you, you should be ashamed of yourself, him winning the FA Cup is not just going to suddenly then make the dad walk off and realize he's wrong. Like, he's just going to be like, ah, it doesn't matter, he's still worthless. You say that, Tyler, but (laughs) somehow that is what happens, right? He really (laughs) hangs around, like, threatening the family from a distance, Mm -hmm. but as soon as his son, spoiler alert, by the way, scores the winner in the FA Cup final, and they get word through the the magic Morse code, or however Mm -hmm. they transmit things from, from the oval up to Darwin. She's a witch. Uh, mm-hmm. or, or, or that lady's a witch, yeah. Um, yeah, he just like gives up and, and disappears. It's a really odd story. Like I could have yeah. just handled um, the idea that there was an abusive dad and he had to get them out of there and that was it. We didn't need to see anything yeah else all right yeah i also thought he was going to keep the hat for a minute fergus's custom-made hat i was like well i mean don't take his hat away like that that makes that ties the suit together but he doesn't so at least there's that at least there's that all right so we are done with douglas suit i don't think he's really mm. worth talking about because i'm not i'm not even sure they talked about him that much in the writer's room to be honest mm-hmm. um, yeah so we have fergus suitor we're going back in time a little bit here we've got fergus suitor yeah. dressed very nicely on his way down to london and before the meeting with the FA, where they're going to present their case of why Blackburn should not be expelled from the FA Cup, um, we finally have like a good, long heart-to-heart between Suter and Kinnaird while yeah. they play billiards, which we do mm-hmm. have in Working Class Downs, by the way, Mr. Kinnaird. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good line. I enjoyed that. It's, you see Arthur like sort of making fun of himself and chuckling at his own... Um, pompousness pomposity yeah. whatever the word would be uh yeah so i, I enjoyed like that he, one and i do it's think like he just got woke but he's still learning all the details yeah yeah and i do think that they have like those two have good friendship chemistry so i yes. thought that was a pretty effective scene it's and a mutual bonding respect. over yeah and bonding over collective like shared experiences on the field leads to that line of like they don't love it the way we do which is what motivates arthur canard to speak on behalf of of fergus Suter and darwin and uh, blackburn and everybody else so i thought that was that was pretty effective and uh, an overall good scene and in but in a whole show that's about the whether professionalism should be allowed or not the yeah. only good bit of honest debate about whether professionalism should be allowed or not is in the, the billiard scene between arthur canard yeah. and fergus Suter, right and it's essentially fergus persuading arthur um, that it's not fair for working class men to play for no money because they don't have the luxuries that upper class men do. Yeah, and and, and the, that is reiterated later on when we see the two different uh, team dinners. But I, I also thought that was really effective in terms of getting Canard fully on board. Yeah, because he wasn't fully was- convinced, right? No, but I was fully ready for my eyes to roll out of their sockets when he made this impassioned speech about how working class people should be allowed to play and be allowed to be paid. And then Merendon is convinced. And I sort of like that it was very begrudgingly after a series of other threats and ultimatums. Yes. Kind of forced his hand, not some motivating speech born of passion and goodwill. So there is the meeting, right? So they go and present. It's the Lancashire FA. It's Suter um, presenting to the FA. Kinnaird is there, but you notice he's sitting sort of at what would be the head of the table, which deliberately, I quite like the symbolism of this, puts him halfway between the two parties, right? He's yeah. not on the side mm-hmm. of the table with Marindon and Littleton and the rest of the football association, right? So he's like the, he's supposed to be sort of the swing vote, I guess, or the guy who plays both sides at the very least, yep. or is, mm-hmm. has a foot in both parties. Um, yep. Suter makes a very impassioned case about what football means to working class people. It's a, it's, it's a vision of now, but it's also obviously with a little wink to camera, it's a vision of the future, right? Of people yep. and crowds loving football and football meaning more to people than these, pe- these, uh, these posh people can realize. And I, I almost laughed. I don't know if it was meant to be funny, but the way Marandon is like, hmm, interesting case, but the answer is no. 
<laughs> yeah, which computer which is says no. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, like that was what I re- I I when he did that, I was like, okay, good. We're not gonna get the like. You know what? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> like I was ready for that, and when that didn't happen, I was I was pretty pleased. But what does happen is Mr. Shaw, who is there as the chairman of the Lancashire FA, mm-hmm. says, okay, well here's Plan B. He slides a note across the table, and it's Lancashire FA's resignation from the FA. And then when Marindon doesn't seem bothered about that, uh, the threat that there'll be more to follow from mm-hmm. from Yorkshire, from Lincolnshire, from the Midlands, from everywhere else. He weirdly named Sheffield and Yorkshire, which Sheffield's in Yorkshire, so I'm not sure what the I'm not sure what the deal is there. Uh, but essentially, all the northern teams are threatening to uh, to leave the FA and start their own thing. Right? Marindon's mm-hmm. still not impressed, but then Arthur Kinnaird says, "With me as president, it might work." Yeah, yeah, I think he said, like, you expect people to respect this, like, fledgling organization. And then he says, with me as president, which, again, that was the bomb that was dropped. And I was like, get it, Arthur. Yeah. All right. All right. Causing, causing some consternation. So now's the time for a history lesson, Taylor. Mm-hmm. This didn't quite happen this way. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, it didn't happen over this FA Cup final. Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen because of anything to do with either Blackburn Rovers or Blackburn Olympia. Right. Um, so what happened was Preston North End, Preston North End, that team that um, that the Oldertonians went to play in this series mm-hmm. in episode four, um, they were expelled from the FA Cup in 1884 for fielding, quote, imported players. Do you know where they were imported oh from? Scotland. Scotland, yeah. Yep. For fielding imported players and paying them. So the FA did take exception to this and uh, expelled them from the FA Cup. They'd also expelled Accrington from the FA Cup two years previous for the same reason. And what happened in response was, it wasn't the Lancashire FA went down and had a meeting and all that sort of stuff. It was Preston and 36 other northern teams threatened to form a breakaway British Football Association in 1884. And what's really important about that is it would have included Scottish teams as well. Wow. So we could have had a whole different world in which Scotland and England are united in their football. Yeah, so Celtic and Rangers would have eventually been part of the English Premier League. Oh, boy. Yeah. If that would have happened at all, because that's overseen by the FA. We don't know. We don't know, (laughs) We don't know. The British Football Association would have overseen it. So, I mean, this is a thing that kind of did happen, but absolutely did not happen with anything to do with Blackburn or anything to do with this FA Cup final that they're presenting. So they're jamming a lot of history together here, but there is an element of truth to it. Yeah, and and so that makes sense to me. That's how you you probably kind of have to do it to expedite things. Um, I liked that there are several different mentions of Marindon being a gentleman because at the same time, like I expected this to be like full bureaucracy of like, and the hearing is open and the hearing is closed, you're banned. Like (laughs) that is kind of the way it would go. But if he truly believes himself to be a gentleman, which he does, then he would sort of believe in the decorum of we must listen to them, I must give them time to speak, and then I must respond. That is what's acceptable. So that makes sense to me, and I enjoyed that. And then I enjoyed Alfred. um, So we get the sort of like meeting after the meeting before they've made the decision where it's just the good old boys in a room together chatting. Yeah, the Shrovetide meeting. yeah, we, I like this yeah, scene. Is that is right, well? Then take it from there because explain what Shrovetide is because I feel like that is him explaining the origins of a derby. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's one of the possible origins of a derby, right? You can listen to our right. Soccer One Hundred and One episode about derbies mm-hmm. to find out. But yes, so Shrovetide is this game 
where essentially you have to push the ball from one end of town to the other and it's well, it's two towns against each other basically right mm-hmm. and it is an absolute scrum it happens in derbyshire which is why some people think it's the origin of the term derby um it's an absolute scrum it's really violent um i think littleton said a man drowned this year playing <laughs> playing that playing that game and the good mm-hmm. old boys um point which is you know it's somewhat valid and i wish they'd made more valid points to make this more dramatic um is that this is this is what the working class people invented. We mm. gave it rules and we civilized it, and so therefore we we kind of own it, and we should be able to shepherd it the way we want to shepherd it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think like you could have had more compelling arguments and more coherent arguments aside from we're the villains, we're the baddies, so we have to make bad bad guy arguments. But I also thought like Alfred sort of not. It, it felt like Alfred didn't really care. It felt like Alfred's major complaint was that Arthur wasn't being a good friend. And yes. he says, like, you're supposed to be my friend. It was shades of uh, Captain America and Iron Man in Civil War. <laughs> that one out there. Um, but but I, I thought that was really compelling because, like, I feel like we've all had that moment where you have your friend who you just sort of assume, like, we're best buds. Uh, no, I'm not speaking about Daryl here, I promise. But, like, you have that moment, like, that moment in high school or middle school or whatever where you just assume your friend is with you and then you realize they're not, that they disagree with you or they're on the other side. And it really is jarring. And in this moment, where it feels like not only is Arthur sort of on the other side, but kind of completely pulling away and abandoning a lot of what they sort of have in common and what believe in common. I I get where Alfred is sort of coming from in his frustration and sort of like true sadness. And he almost is crying when he delivers that line of like, we're supposed to be friends. Yes. Oh, yeah, because it's like um, Arthur auto-completes someone's sentence, right? With you're you're supposed to be one of us. Like he's making it all about class, whereas Alfred Mm -hmm. makes it all about friendship on a more on a more personal level, right? Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was good because it established like what Arthur was giving up and potentially giving up and losing these people that matter to him in order to be an honorable, truthful person. But he does also make the case to them about what's going to happen with football. I think he kind There's of persuades... I don't know if he persuades them, but he um, at least makes a really compelling case that it can't just be the old Etonians and the old Carthusians and all the, old, all the good old boys, all the toughs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's already spreading in the north and beyond. There's new teams every year. Eventually, this is going going to spread to other countries to the empire and beyond right this is going to be he basically anticipates the spread of football around the entire globe and i'm not sure if they're con- if the fa is convinced by that or if they're just convinced by the threat of the breakaway british football association led by arthur canard that's the one that i thought was much more resonance of like yes. oh we're going to lose this future lord who's very respected True. and very well known and he's going to take over and run this other one full of like upstart people with more money behind it this could be problematic oh, for us I, by the way I looked up a lot of the um, the team sheets from the games from these these eras mm-hmm. and when Arthur Kennard is listed everybody else just is listed with their name he is the honourable Arthur Kennard on the team sheet <laughs> okay I dig that <laughs> I like the honourable Arthur Kennard um, so it's also worth noting that Kennard was never um, uh, going to be the head of the British Football Association that is like, purely dramatic liberty that's the type of thing I can get on board with though Wait, say that again? Arthur Kennard was never going to be the head of the British Football Association, oh, oh, the I Breakaway Association, in real life. But it does make sense dramatically um, in this moment. The, okay, I, I thought you were saying he was never going to be the president of the FA, and I was very confused. Like, <laughs> wasn't he for like a very long time? Isn't that the epilogue? He certainly was. He certainly was. So what do you think? Are the FA most convinced by the threat of the Breakaway League, or are they more convinced by the... Um, um, Arthur's vision of what football is going to look like in just a few years. 
I mean, from a realistic standpoint, I have to assume it's the threat of the breakaway league. Oh, yeah. That is what would – because if, if they truly are like, you don't know what you're talking about. This is just a riffraff of people who, you know, we don't need to worry about them. I doubt being like, but it will spread and grow. I think they would still be like, no, it won't. Like, we're going to be in charge of it. What are you talking about? <laughs> so – they do walk out of this meeting looking more mm-hmm. angry than enlightened. So I guess yes. that does mean that they've essentially been forced into reinstating Blackburn because of the threat of the breakaway FAs, right? Yes. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I, I, I think so. I think so. But Arthur wins. Fergus, Fergus wins. Uh, I guess the viewer wins because we do get our FA Cup final. Yeah. So that's nice. We also find out before that, uh, you may have mentioned already that Alma is pregnant. Yep. It's my favorite ADR of the entire series. It was terrific. I don't know if you noticed I that I didn't. One. Uh, when what, what was it oh we've come a long way together is what Arthur says to like put a cap on the scene when he finds out she's pregnant but she says like I love you you see her face then he says something and it keeps it in the same shot and his mouth is clearly not moving and it goes from like and Alma I must tell you we've come a long way together <laughs> like it's so very clearly like oh we need to put a different cap around this one uh, get him back in to record that one in the booth <laughs> or at least someone who sounds like him Yes, exactly. Julian, how's your Canard impression? <laughs> uh, before we uh, before we talk mm. about the FA Cup final, because this is like the oh, big yes, finale of, of this entire mm-hmm. series, I just want to make one more historical note, right? Okay. <laughs> Which is that this game didn't really happen. Yeah. So the FA Cup final they're depicting um, is, it did happen in that uh, Blackburn Olympic beat the Old Etonians 2-1 yeah. In the 1983 FA Cup final, right? But Fergus Suter did not play on that team. The only player from this series that played on that Blackburn Olympic team was um, Hunter. You know, the big center mm-hmm. forward guy. Yep. He played for that he team. He of the Moors, yes. He, yeah, he, the one who enjoys the Moors, yeah. Um, there was a game where the Old Etonians played Blackburn Rovers, which is who uh, Fergus Suter played for the year before. So that was the 1982 FA Cup, sorry, 1882 FA Cup final. But the Old Etonians won 1-0. So that would not be as dramatically satisfying, right? That's why they, they couldn't use that, but they wanted to use the Blackburn Olympia beating the Old Etonians. So that's why they merged the two teams. Which I suppose makes sense, but I'm now confused. Which team do you think historically Cartwright is supposed to be owning? I don't know. I honestly don't know, especially when you given that Cartwright never even existed. Yeah, but the other thing I just realized, which is now like hilarious to me, I'm assuming it's supposed to be Blackburn Olympic because doesn't the name Rover derive from the fact that they were a team without like a home ground and would just sort of travel around to different places that would allow them to play yes, football? Yes, there, there is that. There is that. And then yeah. we have the whole thing where Cartwright shows the stadium and the manicured lawn and everything like that. So they were decidedly not Rovers. I, so I'm going to say it's Blackburn Olympic is what he's supposed <laughs> to be owning. The good news is um, Fergus Suter does win the FA Cup. But not until the 1984 season. And he wins it playing for... 18, excuse me, 1884. I keep doing that. I was very confused. Yeah. So Suter does win the FA Cup in 1884 He's against yeah. Queen's Park, a Scottish team. Um, oh. And he, this is the even weirder part. Queen's Park couldn't field their first choice 11 because half the team was playing for Scotland against England in an international match. Mm, okay. So that would have all been right. all kinds of confusing to have Fergus yeah. Suter's actual FA Cup final win. You couldn't have, because of that weird Queen's Park situation, and it wasn't against Old Etonians, you couldn't have had Fergus Suter 
losing to Arthur Kennard, right? Because then it like it doesn't make sense dramatically because you don't have the working class triumphing over the upper class. And then if you use Blackburn Olympic, then you don't have Fergus Suter. So I can sort of see why at some point they mm-hmm. just said, I give up, let's just call the team Blackburn and we'll just jam them all together. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That seems about the uh, the natural effort put into it. Uh, so we do have we do have our TV show FA Cup though. But should we talk about the dinner before? Yeah. So yeah, before we get to the actual final, there's the mm-hmm. um, contrasting dinners the night before, right? So at Kinnaird's dinner, he's trying to smooth over um, the disagreements, but I think um, Alfred's not there, right? Is he not at the dinner, and he's not going to be at the game? Uh, yes, that is correct. Okay, so that's that's a bit sad. And then mm-hmm. I'm more interested in the uh, the Blackburn dinner. I find it really interesting because after having this victory, it's almost like half the team are betraying their yeah. working class roots almost by going to this fancy dinner when the entire team hasn't been invited, just the star players and the rich owners. Yeah. And it's everyone's enjoying themselves and living it up. And Fergus is the only one who's kind of like... This isn't right. This isn't how it's supposed to go. My least favorite scene in these two episodes. Why is that? This scene. Because why is it here, aside from we need a parallel structure of Arthur trying to convince his friends and being morally upstanding, and so Fergus has to be morally upstanding, so he then is going to stand up to Cartwright, who he has, we know the animosity towards because of Martha, but like, is Cartwright a good guy or a bad guy? I don't know. He's he's interesting in that sense, right? You see both sides of it. But see, I guess I feel like we don't. I feel like he is a character who is good when he needs to be a good guy and bad when he needs to be a bad guy. And that's it. That, like, in this moment, like, he goes from, like, funding Jimmy Love's uh, medical bills because of, every, like, everything that happened to him. Oh, yeah. And he takes care of his own. By the way, this, this, ta- this show takes place pre-National Health Service. This yeah, is what it used yeah. to be like in England. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and still is like in America. Uh, but uh, it's it's just it it was a strange moment of like wait, but Cartwright just like funded this, and I what why why does he have to be a jerk again? Uh, just so Fergus can have a moment of like we should all be here, but then that doesn't change anything. It it just shows that Fergus has learned to stand up to Cartwright. I think it just like elevates Fergus above all the other working class people as being the most pure working class person. I think that's right. kind of what it's meant to show. And I guess, like, like while I'm on the topic for a moment, like, as, as another example, why does Cartwright tell his wife? Like, why does he tell her about the affair and the love child? It serves no purpose within the show aside from she now knows and then she offers Martha a job. But he doesn't change his behavior. It doesn't strengthen their marriage or make them split up. It doesn't make him change his behavior at all. Like, it doesn't need to happen. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Yeah, so it's just, uh, that was the most frustrating one is at the end of this sequence. I was like, again, Cartwright is sometimes a nice guy and then sometimes like, well, shouldn't we all be meeting? Why is it just the two of you? And it's like, but why did you guys bring Fergus down? Like, I don't know. I just, this really was the moment where I was just like, this didn't need to happen. You just want them both to look like really good guys as we go into the final and you don't know who to root for. Well, let's go into the final, Taylor. Let's go to Mm -hmm. the FA Cup final. Old Old Etonians versus Blackburn at the Oval. The basic thing that happens is Suter scores, Kinnaird scores, they go to extra time, Suter scores the winner. That's the very yes. uh, the very basic structure of the game. There's an interesting thing going on in here where, um, what, Old Etonians go a man down, um, and rather than, like, abandon the game or anything, they, they agree to play on. So it's essentially all about sportsmanship, right? Like, yeah. um, Kinnaird agrees to play extra time instead of a replay, which is what Marindin wants. Um, Suter, to show his, like, gentlemanliness and his sportsmanship, um, takes off 
um, a Blackburn player so they can play 10v10 mm-hmm. um, and make it fair. So that when he scores the winner, there's not only the glory of Suter lifting the FA Cup, there's also um, the fact that, say, Kinnaird's dad can recognise the sportsmanship and gentlemanliness that's inherent in the sport of soccer or football, mm-hmm. um, not just on the Old Etonian side, but from the working class side as well. Yeah, and I thought it was it was really interesting, uh, and I really enjoyed that they began this sequence by showing you the FA Cup. They show it in the stands on its pedestal waiting to be claimed, but it is literally dividing the rich fans of the Old Etonians from the working class fans of Blackburn. Yeah. And it sort of was like the FA Cup is sort of the divider, but also the uniter that it brings all these people together to care about this one common thing. When she take that I rope that was, away, was... Kinnaird demands that they take the velvet rope away. Yeah, yes, and, and then there's that, and then there's that. Did you, notice, uh, um, yeah. did you notice Mr. Walsh stepping down from the sort of better seats to go and like yes. uh, stand with the working class yes yeah. of course he was already sort of with the working class and cartwright because they weren't in like the rich 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 section they were in the like middle rich section yeah. and then he went to the working class section yeah. i enjoyed that so yeah literally middle class to working class is what he i yes. think what he did there <laughs> yes walsh i think the most likable character of the entire series. absolutely yes i really like him yeah especially inventing the loan move classic move classic move from <laughs> mr walsh okay yep. then we get the um so we get Suter lifting the fa cup um, we get Douglas Suter like running off with his tail between his legs, somehow mm-hmm. magically defeated by uh, his son's goal. Um, and then we get the post-match, uh, sorry, post-series credits, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, we, first we get the freeze frame on Fergus, which was a choice. I, I was fine with that. Any any sports movie <laughs> or series can have that. We get the little um, historical nuggets right at the end, right, yeah. telling mm-hmm. us that um, the, everything went fully professional in 1885, yep. um, that uh, that Kinnaird became head of the FA until 1923, um, I believe. Um, what what else do we see? No, we uh, see... no amateur team wins the FA Cup again. No, and then we see uh, uh, Fergus and Jimmy Love like are recognized as pioneers of a sport that now counts like four billion fans, and that that got me. I'm not gonna lie, I got a little emotional. <laughs> it maybe got a tiny, tiny bit dusty even in the room. It made because it, it was just. It, it made me think we should have more listeners. <laughs> well, certainly there's that, but like that is genuinely a thing that I I do love about soccer, and it has always been a source of pride. That even back when like. I played soccer in middle school, and there were a few people who cared about soccer, but not nearly as many, I, I feel like, as there are today. It was sort of a, like, yeah, but, like, everybody in the world plays this game. Like, I am not some, it's not just some, like, weird thing that only a couple people play. Not that that matters, but it's, like, it always made me feel connected to a more global community. And I like that reminder of, like, yeah, like, billions of people watch the World Cup final. Billions of people care about this game. It is genuinely the universal language that even if you don't speak the same language, if you know a player or two that plays on the team in the city you're in, you can strike up a conversation fairly quickly. And we've all got Marindon to thank for that. Of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but we kind of do, right? Like, all these these toffs that are very much the villains of this game, mm-hmm. they also are the inventors of this game, the people who helped codify it and helped popularize yep. it. Um, and I guess they just make the case in this in this English game, in this series, that Kinnaird is, Arthur Kinnaird is the bridge between the toffs and helping the Tufts realize that they need to spread it out to the working class. I would love to know how accurate that is. Was that how Arthur Kinnaird felt? I would love to know are there writings or anything, mm-hmm. like you know, like I mean, uh, like journal entries or diary entries um, or newspaper reports from the time that like buttress the case that Kinnaird was the guy that decided to help open this up to working class people. 
FIFA don't think he was. I'll tell you that much. Well, from that movie, right? Yeah, but FIFA. I mean, FIFA the movie just, that they financed. Yeah, yes. FIFA are just anti-English, right? Basically, it's, well, it's it's really interesting that like the the conclusion of this, like the like the driving thing that gets the FA to vote for it theoretically, is that like we can be the ones who spread the game. It's going to spread this game that we created, and we can be part of that, or we can be separate from it. And it seems like that is like the the denouement of the of the series and simultaneously is the thing that a lot of people in global soccer resent the most about the english is that yeah. attitude of like we invented it you're welcome so i like that it kind of ends there at a point when like fifa really do pick it up and they're like oh these english who think that they own the sport i mean but if you take that to be real right that like final mm-hmm. meeting where they're talking about maybe yeah. uh, or the meeting towards the end where they're talking about the game the game spreading around the globe those people in that room imagine that they will be at the center of spreading, spreading it around the globe mm. and they will be in charge of what happens in Italian football or Brazilian football. But I mean, I'm, I'm assuming what happens is that FIFA, once they're formed, are sort of like, no, the English FA, you don't, yeah. you don't get to be in charge, right? And I know historically that was the, the clash between FIFA and the FA, and that's why the FA are the villains of, um, I've forgotten the name of the movie, but the, the, the United, Passions. United Passions of the FIFA mm-hmm. movie. Yes. Yeah, um, I mean, and, and I also think that it's probably fairly realistic to show like a flawed organization that recognizes that the game is going to spread. They want to be involved in that, but they're also probably annoyed and they want the credit for it. That's that seems pretty human to me to be okay with the thing, even if you're not fully okay with it, and have that sort of conflict be present throughout. That makes sense to me that you would be okay with the spread of the game, but still expect to get some credit, and when you don't, feel slightly hard done by. I get that. So, do you have any closing thoughts on the English game? It, it was fine. Um, I think. I think if if we had gone back and not seen it as like a soccer miniseries, but a, a, a historical period piece about like class like structure and breaking down barriers and becoming true to yourself and more sort of character driven, it probably would have been more enjoyable to me because I like, if you go back and listen to that first episode and even like when we discussed it before we'd watched an episode, we sort of had this idea that it was going to be all about like one game or just very specifically about the game itself and the characters involved in the spread thereof. I didn't expect it to be quite so romantic relationship driven yeah i think that's fair i think that's fair yeah we all expected more football right at the beginning i think we were just desperate for Mm -hmm. football when we started this uh this series right because it was not long after everything um had shut down the one the one major thought i have is all julian fellows things tend to revolve around the the upper classes right Mm-hmm. Um, we have a thing here where like there's a thing coming from below, coming from the working class. The thing I slightly resent about this series is that the only thing that like turns the tide here is an is an upper class person siding with the working class as opposed to the working class taking something for themselves. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's where like I don't know historically which one is more accurate. Well, we do know that in terms of making things professional, it was the threat of the British Football Association and all the northern teams threatening to break away, not with Arthur Kinnaird at their head. That is what forced the FA's hand into making the game professional in 1885, right? So it's almost like he's made this a drama about an upper class person where it didn't necessarily need to have an upper class hero. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And it didn't necessarily need to just be this conflict. Like, if they had had other moments throughout the series of, like, and we're getting reports of professionalism here. Like, they had a couple throwaway lines, but if it had been, like, hey, there's this other league now where they're all professional. Like, this is not, like, because the way you've described it from a historical standpoint, it feels almost like this massed army with, like, way superior numbers being, like, this is how it's going to be. Otherwise, we're going to cut you guys out. That feels much more intimidating and threatening and is sort of the lower class taking over this game as opposed to like, well, it was between this team and this team and these people on this team and these people on this team and that's what did it. That makes it feel less widespread. It makes it feel less like it was the entirety of the country sort of uniting behind this common idea. And it all depended on the kindness and the change of heart that Arthur Kinnaird had, which is maybe putting too much on on one man. Um, So that's that's my final sort of class war thought on this game. But don't forget... If you're nice and you invest in a shirt factory and you let the other team lift the trophy and you take that rope away, you get pregnant. (laughs) So, you know, we learned some lessons here. We did learn some weird things about how biology works um, in Mm -hmm. in this season. I will say I am sort of glad we're done with this (laughs) so that we can move on to Sunderland Till I Die. I think Sunderland Till I Die was more the type of thing we were looking for. Yeah, I think so. I think this would have been a show that I would have started, watched one and a half episodes, and then it would have sat in my, do you want to continue watching queue for a long Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But I hope people have enjoyed our recaps, because I know some people have enjoyed this uh, this series more than we have. I apologize mm-hmm. if either Taylor or I have annoyed you with maybe me correcting yeah. the historical record or, or Taylor not being me happy about, um, yeah, complaining about yeah. character development. Um, I don't think you're wrong at all, Taylor. I don't think I'm wrong. But I also understand that some people just want to relax and enjoy something. Yeah, and that's the thing, man, is like I also don't think I'm necessarily completely right. I just know like that was my emotional reaction to the show. As uh, I listen to We Hate Movies, I enjoy that podcast. A line they are very fond of saying is, it's fine to like a thing. It is fine (laughs) to like this show. Just because we have criticism of it does not mean it is inherently a bad show or it is not worth watching. If you want to watch a period piece that is peripherally about soccer, watch it. It's enjoyable. It's fine. It's lighthearted as well. It's definitely not really gonna like send you into emotional turmoil the way many other tv series will that's exactly what i would expect a man with mud in his beard to say always my friend all right so keep listening to the total soccer show because we're going to keep publishing episodes we're going to have reviews of the next couple episodes of sunderland till i die we're gonna have a bit of a news roundup we're gonna have listener questions um there's a new episode of soccer 101 available and if you find soccer 101 there's the liverpool versus milan 2005 champions league final review that is now available you can go listen to that so taylor rockwell i will close by saying thank you for taking the time to talk to me about the english game today right back at you chap listeners thank you for listening and we will talk to you again very soon